Today's episode of Filmgasm is brought to you by the Terrell Corporation. More human than human since 1982. Happy Friday, listeners. This is our connector to Wednesday's Alien episode, the theme being visionary director Ridley Scott. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is the Filmgasm Podcast, episode 75, Blade Runner. Gotta be honest, I've never liked this movie. <laughs> yeah, me neither, man. Uh, I think I've seen it now four times, and each time Same. it just kind of, each time it kind of bores me. Um, obviously, like you said, um, Ridley Scott is a very talented director when it comes to um, what you're looking at, like big picture wise. Yeah. Uh, cinematography is pretty wonderful, but. I don't know. When you break it down as a movie, it's there's there's not a whole lot there for me. It's dull. The characters are dull. There's not a lot of development on anybody. The narrative is sloppy. I've, I've so I took a lot of film classes in college, and this film always pops up in film cl- in film classes in college. So I had to keep watching this movie, <laughs> and I got to a point where I was like, Blade Runner, motherfucker, <laughs> like three times. <laughs> In three different classes. So I had some animosity with this one going in already. <laughs> and w- watching it for the show was tough. I fell asleep, but I, I woke up. I got through it. I like it a little bit better this time around, but not by much. At least this time I was able to follow it. <sighs> yeah, I, th- I think as you get older, um, a, a, a film that's as impressive looking as Blade Runner from you know almost 40 years ago now. Yeah. You just you just re, you have a foundational respect for it, yeah. but but I think you and I agree the characters are just there's just not nearly enough development. I don't care like I don't care what's happening at the end of the film. I feel no connection to anyone honestly. Uh, I think you know Howard's really going for it, but um, nobody else really stands out. You know it doesn't seem like Harrison Ford's really taking it too seriously or really trying a whole lot. Uh, and that's that's frustrating when you have a director who clearly was trying and a production design team that was trying. Uh, so it just it's just not all there. It's weird, too, because this was like Ford at the beginning of his like apex. This was sandwiched between Raiders and Jedi. So this was big time to be Harrison Ford. You'd think he would I, be, you know, huge in this movie, but he really is just phoning it in. And everyone else is, too. There's no emotional stakes why who the hell is rick deckard he's just a cop <laughs> there's nothing yeah. else to his character yeah and uh i think something that uh the the more recent one uh the one from 2017 blade runner 2049 ryan gosling's character uh whether that whether people like that movie or not his character at least looks really cool you know <laughs> De- deckard doesn't really even look that cool you know he's not even um I just feel like it was so lazy, and like you said, uh, compared to uh, what he had been, what he was doing, uh, where his costumes are so fucking iconic, um, as Indiana Jones and then as Han Solo. Uh, I just, I feel like it's, it's kind of a letdown as far as his performance and his character altogether. Uh, the world he's in is cool, but I don't know. I wish we were following somebody else, kind of. Me too. I, I think this movie would be brilliant if it was told from Roy Batty's perspective. Like, yes, he should exactly. be our hero. That would be yeah. fascinating. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I, that's a great call. Yeah. I mean, to watch a movie literally about a robot with a ticking clock who knows he's going to die, who hates his creators, who wants more time. That quest has emotional stakes. It has a hero you can relate to. Everybody's afraid of dying. Like, that would be so cool. I, mean, I, I can't believe that Ridley Scott, of all people, didn't grasp that. Like, I feel like he could have really done wonders with this. And I don't understand how the, why the film community has rallied behind this movie for like 40 years now. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That, that's something that obviously um, I think uh, what, whatever listeners we do have there, some of them will probably be kind of confused at how we're, how we're kind of coming at this movie. I don't think either of us hate it in any way. We're not, we're not disrespecting yeah. it. We just don't quite understand. This happens a lot when you and I, uh, we watch, this happens a lot with like, uh, you know, 70s and 80s, like older, like classic movies. 
uh, you just kind of question them. I think you and I felt the same way about like Gremlins. We were kind of like, huh? Yeah. That's yeah. that's not quite as good as I remember maybe as a kid or I don't know. It just doesn't all add up. And you just kind of wonder because you look at the reviews and the scores and you're like, oh my gosh, like Blade Runner for the 80s is like right at the top. And I just, I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It really does not. So let's analyze it and see if we can figure out why this movie doesn't do it for us and why it does do it for everyone else. Uh, Blade Runner was directed by Ridley Scott, whose career we talked about at length in Wednesday's Alien episode. Check that out if you want to know a little bit more about Ridley Scott. It was based on Philip K. Dick's 1968 novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Obviously, I think Blade Runner is a much better title. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, yeah, Philip K. Dick's the man. Have you ever read anything by him? I have not. Oh, boy. Yeah, and then um, one of my favorite Richard Linklater movies, Scanner Darkly, is based on his book, too. Yeah, yeah. That, guy's got some, that guy's got some cool stuff, but it, it's hard to put on the screen. You know, it's uh, pretty out there, obviously. He did Total Recall, too, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, he's definitely got a lot to say about the, uh, the post-human. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, that was his game, was uh, what, what's going to happen when shit hits the fan. <laughs> <laughs> What is intelligence? What is human? Very much his uh, his milieu, if you will. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> One day I I watched Total Recall once when I was like eight. I don't remember it at all. I gotta I gotta watch it again. We'll do it on here one day for sure. Oh oh yeah. Uh, Blade Runner stars Oscar nominee Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard, professional replicant hunter or Blade Runner, who hunts down the four illegal replicants. If you don't know who Harrison Ford is, it's a miracle you've made it this far in a movie podcast. <laughs> Ford is Hollywood royalty. He was nominated for an Oscar for his performance in 1985's Witness, and he achieved worldwide fame and acclaim for his role as Han Solo in the Star Wars franchise, as well as Indiana Jones in four movies thus far, and as Jack Ryan in Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. He's a living legend who's been pretty much resigned to paycheck gigs for the past 20 years. But he's earned it. He's earned the right to do whatever the hell he wants. And he yeah, knows it. Harrison, Harrison Ford, uh, I dare you, dare I say, the uh, king of the 80s uh, oh, in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd say, like, you'd equivalent him to kind of Tom Hanks in the 90s, where he's just working a shit ton, and every movie's good. You know, his quality is uh, something's there. Something's there, and at least uh, it's making money. <laughs> you know what I mean? They have that draw. Harrison Ford's the man. He... He's one of those first guys I remember growing up hearing about as being like, you know, the handsome guy that, you know, people go to see. And he's just kind of kind of almost menacing that when you look at him, he's like, wow, like that's a fucking man, <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and it's, it's it's, you know, partly the characters he plays. Indiana Jones, you know, Han Solo. You talked about Jack Ryan earlier, like, good Lord. You, know, you add Rick Deckard in there. It's just. He's uh, a man's you know, man. Oh, and then, and then Witness, like you said, he was, you know, uh, that's Oscar royalty. You know, he's just, um, he's yeah, he was a freak during that decade. Yeah. It's weird considering he's always hated being famous, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I love the stories about how um, he was just, like, kind of off his rocker and always on drugs during the, like, shooting of Star Wars. You can tell. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. <laughs> you can tell. He's not really acting. <laughs> well, I think he's the guy who came up to George Lucas and was like, you can't really expect us to say this shit can you <laughs> yeah like whoa i'm a gr i am a grown-ass dude yeah what are, you, <laughs> what are we doing here yeah god harrison ford on the set of star wars it's like what the fuck did i sign up for i guess i'll sign up for two more and then do one 30 years later <laughs> yeah just yeah. kill me please <laughs> good uh. lord uh then we've got the late, great Rucker Hauer as Roy Batty, a psychotic replicant on the verge of death who is looking for a way to live. Hauer was famous for his more villainous characters, such as Mr. Earl in Batman Begins, Kurt Barlow in the 2002 Salem's Lot miniseries, and as John Ryder in past Filmgasm episode The Hitcher. Hauer died in 2019 at age 75 after a bout with a short illness, and he was one of the most like menacing character actors in the business. The guy played villains like nobody's business. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he's he's unbelievable. And I I do that's my favorite part of the movie. Is this is his performance. He's Hands awesome. Down. 
he's awesome, man. Yeah, like you said, he's just got this kind of like this scowl. This <laughs> I don't know. He he can he moves his face in a way that few people can. Well, I think that's why he's such a great pick for a robot because Roy Batty's supposed to be this inhuman force. Yes, and but I think uh, Rucker Howard's performance adds a layer of fear to the guy like he is doing this because he's scared and i love that you feel it you he's the only one you can kind of relate to in a weird way it's cool oh yeah well he, he has he has intent you know um like you said at the very beginning uh of this podcast you said i kind of wish you know the movie was about him <laughs> yeah yeah such a missed opportunity uh We've got Sean Young as Rachel, the replicant who does not know she's a replicant and inexplicably falls in love with Rick Deckard. Young has also appeared in films such as Dune, Wall Street, and Ace Ventura Pet Detective. After that, she went a bit nuts trying to win the role of Catwoman in Batman Returns, and roles started to dry up for her, and she hasn't really bounced back from that. I don't know if you know that story. It's so bonkers. Well, you know. You know, as if she's going to take down Michelle Pfeiffer. Come on now. Well, she didn't just do that. She like showed up to Burton's office in a Catwoman costume and was like, cast me, cast me, please. Which you can't do in Hollywood if you don't have I mean, you're Sean Young. You were in Blade Runner. That's that's not clout. You, you don't have clout. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. And you're not. It's not really even a good performance. So. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. She just vanished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I understand. I, I just think she's kind of forgettable in this movie, and I don't. Yeah, I haven't really recognized her or anything else. You know. <laughs> nope. I, I have. You know, I've seen. I've seen Dune. Um. Yeah, but that that movie's like a shit show completely, and <laughs> David Lynch is like David Lynch has completely like disowned it, and yeah, it's 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 a shit show. Wow. Never. I did. I never would have thought you would speak ill of a David Lynch film. Oh, well, you know, um, you know, we just talked about uh, we were talking about Alien, right? Yeah. You know, we have uh, Alien 3, uh, David Fincher. <sighs> yeah. And he disowned that movie, too, because they changed yeah. everything. And that's the same thing that happened with Dune. David Lynch okay. said that's David Lynch said that's not really my movie, technically. So if that happens and I can read about that. Yeah, that's fucking frustrating. You know, um, yeah. You make something and it just <laughs> completely changes when you're already like, hey, I'm kind of. You know, I'm kind of a, you know, I, I'm David, fin- you know, I'm David Lynch. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I don't know. So the studio stepped in and was like, this is too fucking weird. We need a story. <laughs> Pro- probably. And that's why Dune didn't really, you know, hasn't aged too hot. But, you know, the new one's supposed to come out sometime in the fall. So I'm really that excited was early. for that. That was early, right? Dune was before Blue Velvet, right? It's like 1984, 85. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he didn't have... He- the David Lynch clout he carries now. Well, yeah, he, I mean, he had Eraserhead and Elephant Man. Yeah. I mean, that was right before Blue Velvet, like you said, but yeah, but I I don't know. He just, that just seems odd that they would, this already really strange movie. Why would you take that away from him? You know, I don't know. (laughs) Seems weird. True. Very true. We're going to have to do that someday. Just out of, just to satisfy my curiosity. Oh yeah. I've, I've, I've always wanted to do um, some kind of uh, content about, like disowned movies, you know, um, that directors are just like, no, like that was not mine. <laughs> you know, it uh, is a fascinating phenomenon. It is. I mean, yeah, David Fincher like is like, no, that's not my filmography. <laughs> I don't do not count that, you know, and that's that's amazing to me. Yeah, man. Of course, if I, you know, if I went to the premiere of Alien 3 and saw that, I would be like, get my name off this shit immediately. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Back to Blade Runner, we've got Oscar nominee Edward James Olmos as Gaff, the origami folding messenger boy for Captain Bryant. Olmos was nominated for his role in 1988's Stand and Deliver, and he's also known for his role as William Adama on Battlestar Galactica, among other roles. We've talked about Olmos before. I don't remember in what uh, situation, but I do recall talking about Edward James Olmos on this show. So do I. We've got so many, <laughs> so many episodes <laughs> I can't. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Movie. We're we're in the shit now. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I, I, as you keep going, I'll find out. I'll I'll, I'll look through his uh, his resume here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> M. Emmett Walsh plays Captain Bryant, Deckard's superior. I love M. Emmett Walsh. 
He's been in a ton of films, including the Coen brothers, Blood Simple and Raising Arizona, as well as Harry and the Hendersons, Fletch, Romeo and Juliet, Wild Wild West, and most recently, Knives Out. He's one of my favorite character actors. I love this guy. I don't know why. He just got this this weird, like, you know, old prospector-like charm to him. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I've always thought if uh, the prospector from Toy Story 2 came to life, that's <laughs> definitely got to be played by him. <laughs> that's fantastic. Dude, Lauren Visser is one of my favorite Coen Brothers characters. That guy is such a piece of shit scumbag. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Oh, M. Emmett Walsh is perfect in that movie. And Whoa. he's great in this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I found it. Edward James almost. All right. Uh, it was a bonus episode that we did recently. Uh, Road to El Dorado. Road to El Dorado. That's what it he's was. The, he's the voice of the chief. <laughs> yes, he is. All right. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well done. <laughs> God, he's got a, he's got he's in a lot of stuff, man, that we've mentioned a ton. Oh, yeah. A lot of actors, you know, the movies we pick tend to be more underground genre films. So a lot of these guys pop up in these films. Uh, the last cast member I'll point out is Daryl Hannah as Pris, the pleasure model driven to kill. Hannah is another longtime character actress known mostly for her role as L Driver in the Kill Bill movies and as the mermaid Madison in Splash. Some of her other films include Roxanne, Wall Street, Steel Magnolias, My Favorite Martian, and Memoirs of an Invisible Man. She's been around forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somehow. And, um, you know, like you said, Kill Bill immediately became a huge part of our lives, I'm sure, at a young age. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. she's, she's, she's fucking awesome in that movie. Uh, yeah. No, she, she actually, I, I really like her character design in this movie. Uh, I would be really interested in a movie about her as well, but they just don't dive into it enough. This movie doesn't embrace its concept in a unique, like in a me meaningful way. I mean, you have a world where a company has created lifelike machines that can pass as human and you barely tap into that. Yeah. And that's such a cool idea. <sighs> I don't know. Blade Runner has an IMDb score of 8.1, Rotten Tomatoes score of 90%. It was actually a significant bomb upon its release, grossing only 40 mil on a budget of 28 mil. It was nominated for two Oscars, Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects. And those are the two it probably should have been nominated for. The version we'll be going through today is the Final Cut, which was remastered and released in 2007. It revised the 1992 director's cut by brightening certain scenes and improving the visual and sound effects. There's also no narration at the beginning of the film, which was a big point of contention for a lot of people. I don't really know why. There are at least five different versions of Blade Runner floating around out there somewhere. So we picked what Ridley Scott considers to be the definitive final cut. Which, to me, is already a bad sign. If you have five fucking versions of this movie and it's 40 years old and it's not even necessarily different versions. You're just like, Oh, it's like a different cut. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I, that's just that to me, that's, that's insane. And so you, like you said, we watched the final cut, which is available on Netflix right now. Uh, yes. And it's about, and it's about, it's a, like a little under two hours. Right. So I mm -hmm. just, um, I don't know. I just, I, I can't stand stuff like that. And it proves to me that there was never really a solid product, you know? True. Yeah, because they, you know, if you have to keep improving it, you didn't get it right. <laughs> you never got yeah. it right. You're never gonna get it right. Exactly. I mean, just look at Star Wars. Lucas did the same shit. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> it's uh, it's tough. So let's get into the story of Blade Runner as well as we can. Uh, we open with a text crawl explaining that in the near future of 2019 the distant future <laughs> the uh technology that created synthetic humans has entered into the nexus phase they have created these things called replicants which are sophisticated androids that are almost identical to humans they have superior strength and at least equal intelligence to their creators never a good idea to create artificial intelligence in any scenario not at all no 
And the if you're going to create artificial intelligence, you cannot then immediately enslave it. <laughs> I mean, come on. You're asking for trouble. Ugh. So these things are designed and built by the Terrell Corporation, a multi-billion-dollar like, conglomerate that is headquartered in Los Angeles. It's this kind of faceless, glo- like you know, universal company that builds these machines for outsourced uh, interstellar slave labor. But these things can think. These things can feel. They have identity, and they don't like being slaves. So the latest and most advanced version of this is the Nexus 6 model. And this thing is unstoppable. It's super intelligent, super strong. It's the perfect organism, to quote Alien. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, these things are mostly used for slave labor in the off-world colonies. But then on one of these colonies, there's a mutiny and four androids escape. The androids are then outlawed on Earth because of a mutiny. So if any androids, if any replicants show up on Earth, they will be killed instantly. There's no process of law. There's no, it's just shoot on sight. And these specialized police units called Blade Runners are charged with the task of identifying and executing illegal replicants. But instead of execution, it's called retirement. <laughs> yes. Gotta love those love. euphemisms. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> so already you're set up with like, this sounds neat. Like from just that, I'm like, this is going to be cool. Well, yeah. And then, you know, the the opening, just the, the colors that are used and the lighting and the simple state, like, you know, stage setting, tone setting is re- yeah, it's really good, really effective. <laughs> yeah. November 2019, Los Angeles. It looks vibrant and <laughs> wild, but yet also dark and desolate it's a very interesting combo of a future world and uh, unlike say you know star trek which is all bright and shiny blade runner is very you know again with i think following alien it's 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 blue collar yes yes really scott liked that you like the image of a future that's just believable and run down yeah gritty yeah oh yeah uh at the Terrell Corporation, a Blade Runner named Holden is interviewing a new employee using a special device called a Voight-Kampf test. And this is how they identify the replicants. This machine is able to detect physical responses in the test subject in response to questions that are meant to affect the subject emotionally. But these replicants do not have emotions, so they won't react the way a human is supposed to react to these questions. And... This guy holding his is uh, interviewing a guy named Leon, who is immediately very agitated and hostile towards Holden's questions. I mean, this was not a difficult test to work out. Holden's a pretty shitty Blade Runner. Yes. This guy, like, he just he starts asking him questions about like you see a tortoise in the sand. He's like, "What a tortoise? What the hell is a tortoise?" He's like, "It's a turtle." Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. And uh, eventually, conversation turns sour. Leon gets up and shoots Holden. Then we go to Rick Deckard, a former Blade Runner, who's eating at a Japanese noodle bar. And uh, another man, Gaff, shows up, tells him he's under arrest. And Deckard's like, tell him I'm eating. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Tries to ignore him, but he hears that a man called Bryant is asking for him. And that's Deckard's old boss, his captain, Bryant who forces Gaff, who tells Gaff to bring him up, bring him back to the office because they need Deckard. There's four quote unquote skin jobs replicants who are loose on the streets and he needs the best. Rick Deckard is the best uh, for some reason. It's never really, he's actually really shitty at executing these robots. <laughs> I was like, going to say, yeah, he's kind of a slacker. Like, good Lord. He loses his gun like six times. He's, he, <laughs> He's almost killed by two he, of them. He, it seems like he's like on drugs the entire time. <laughs> he might be. Well, Harrison Ford definitely, definitely probably was, but oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how long has Deckard been off the streets? Because I mean, this is not you know he wasn't let go, like he wasn't fired a year ago or he didn't quit a year ago. 
this is a dude who's been retired for a while because he is very rusty <laughs> off his game yeah oh my god that's putting it lightly i mean you know one time well, who was it who uh i think it was leon yeah who's about to like crush his head and then rachel shows up and saves him yeah that's right <laughs> batty breaks his fingers then like uh, yeah he's a fucking terrible cop <laughs> joke this is the Come best. On, rick god i'd hate to see your worst um so Deckard's like, no, it's not my job anymore. Give the job to Holden. And Brian's like, we did. And he can breathe okay as long as nobody unplugs him. <laughs> Deckard is like, no, sorry. But Brian's like, well, you're doing it. <laughs> he basically blackmails him. Says, you know, he threatens him. So Deckard's like, fucking fine. And he watches footage of Leon's test and... Brian explains that six replicants murdered 23 people on an off-world colony, stole a shuttle to Earth. Two of them were killed three days before trying to scale a high-voltage fence. I don't know why, but that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why didn't they show that? <laughs> <laughs> they were trying yeah. to break into the Terrell Corporation, and the other four survived and disappeared. And uh, Brian's convinced that they're going to break into that they were trying to the new guys are going to infiltrate the Tyrell Corporation so Holden was tasked with testing their new employees and that's where he got almost killed so nobody knows why the replicants are risking returning to the Tyrell Corporation Bryant shows the files to Deckard their leader is this guy Roy Batty he's an advanced like soldier model or something like he was designed to kill are these people blind <laughs> Really? You're going to make a robot who is, like, from birth, designed to hate humanity for enslaving its entire race, and you're going to give this guy, like, weapons training? <laughs> yeah, he's, he, and he's already scary looking, you know? Yeah, man. God. Well, then there's Zora, who's a trained off-world assassin, and Pris, who's a pleasure model pro prostitute. Leon the replicant who shot Holden. So they're the four who escaped. And uh, Bryant tells Deckard that the Nexus sixes are designed to not have emotions, but they are designed in such a way that they may develop emotions. It's a weird design. Like, how does that work? You just grow emotions like that. Yeah. So cool. But Scary. because of their, yeah, because of their situation, the ones they, pri they primarily tend to grow are hate and anger. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. So as a failsafe, knowing these things were dangerous, the scientists who designed them gave them a four-year lifespan. So that's what the robots are after. They want a way to extend that lifespan because four years is coming up. So Bryant sends Decker to the Terrell Corps headquarters to test the machine on one of their Nexus 6s. But Deckard's wondering if their design might kind of counteract the test. This test might be useless now. So Deckard and Gaff go to the Terrell headquarters, and uh, Deckard awaits Dr. Terrell. He meets Rachel, Terrell's assistant, this beautiful woman. Dr. Eldon Terrell, played by Joe Turkle. Uh, Eagle-eyed fans might know him as Lloyd from The Shining. Hell yeah. <laughs> Super cool. Uh, he shows up, questions Deckard about the test, and Terrell is like, no, this test isn't going to work. Not on my designs. He's kind of arrogant. And, um, so he, uh, Terrell offers Rachel as a test subject, saying he wants to see a negative test result on a human before providing a replicant. Deckard asks Rachel over 100 test questions before the machine identifies her as a replicant. And she doesn't know that she's a replicant. Deckard's surprised because it usually takes 20 to 30 questions to identify a replicant, but this new model takes 100. So this... It's the ultimate infiltrate. It's almost like the Terrell company is building Terminators. <laughs> Perfect yeah. infiltration machines. So cool. It's funny how you can kind of tie these movies together. They came around the, the movies that came out around the same time all had similar themes. Post-apocalypse, robots that can think, things like that, you know? Alien, Blade Runner, Terminator, they all have these same themes of what is intelligence, what is human. Yeah, and what would happen, yeah, if they had, like you said, feelings or emotions. Ah. Or, yeah, or super strength. 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah, imagine um, if you did, you know, come across the, you know, some emotions, some human emotions, and you found out that you're only going to live for, you know, three or four years. You're like, I mean, I would be so angry at whoever did this to me, you know? Have you ever seen the movie The Sixth Day? No, I have not. No. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from 2000 where it takes place in the near future where human cloning has become uh, widely used but highly illegal due to its unethical nature. And Arnold plays this uh, – I think he's like a, a freight handler or somebody who learns something he's not supposed to learn. And he comes home one day to see his clone playing with his kids in his house. <laughs> like that's Whoa. dad now. And he's like, what the fuck do I do? And so the government people who cloned him are now after him to silence him. And it's a crazy movie. <laughs> Didn't really get a that's, lot of attention, but it's a very entertaining film. That sounds insane. Arnold Schwarzenegger in 2000 is an interesting. Yeah. You know, right before he became the governor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. This movie made me think of that. Just it's another movie that deals with the idea of like, you know, it, I think cloning and robots go hand in hand with the idea of what is human. And it's a good, it's a cool uh, story idea to explore. Oh, for sure. It's just, uh, it's hard to do inside like um, two hours, you know? True. It's hard to do within two hours and be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, because you have to go, you have to go kind of like a certain route. Like one of my favorites in recent memories, Ex Machina. Oh, that was great. Where great it takes game. a very it takes a very specific route and focuses on it and knows knows its characters and sticks to just those. And you got a good movie because it's pretty trippy and um, makes you think a lot for sure. Uh, but also also has like characters that are awesome that develop develop over the whole movie. Uh, but when you have kind of like I feel like Blade Runner maybe maybe it just has like too much going on. I don't know. See, I think Blade Runner doesn't have enough going on. Or, or that, that, yeah, that, that might be it. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, you're right. What they do have, they don't focus nearly enough on. And you end up just getting kind of a movie about people just go like meandering from one scene to the next without anything really tying it together. There's yeah. no emotional journey. They don't get like, I feel like it's just a movie that's half full yeah. or half empty yeah. for you pessimists. <laughs> um, oh, so Deckard's talking to Terrell about Rachel. Rachel, you know, Terrell tells her that she's not she doesn't know she's a replicant, but she's beginning to suspect she might be. He explains that replicants might become emotionally unstable due to the fact that they have. Uh, they have a short time to live to experience life, and that can drive anyone mad. If you find out you have four years left to live, you're going to lose your fucking mind. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, Rachel's experimental. She's been designed with implanted memories, which serve as a buffer for the emotions, allowing the replicants to better control their behavior. So Terrell has created in Rachel a machine that believes they had a childhood, that they had a family. But I feel like that would be even more dangerous because once they learn that that's fake, they're going to freak the fuck out again. (laughs) Shit, no kidding. There's no way to win here. Maybe just don't make the murder bots. <laughs> so Deckard proceeds to the address of the hotel that Leon gave in his test. In the apartment, he finds a stack of family photographs as well as the scale from an animal's hide. He's not aware that Leon is watching the cops from a short distance and Roy Batty is waiting on the street for Leon to return from his apartment. Leon shows up, tells Roy that there were cops there and he was not able to get his pictures. Roy's, you know, well, annoyed, but he doesn't consider it a legitimate threat. He takes Leon with him to a shop called iWorld, owned by a Chinese man named Hannibal Chu, played by James Hong. This was such a weird scene. The guy who makes the eyes for the replicants. Oh, man. <laughs> and he's this creepy old Chinese man who's just got eyes and tanks of liquid nitrogen. Just like yes. building eyes. What a weird livelihood. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, it sounds like someone uh, Frank Reynolds would hang out with. <laughs> oh, I got, I got a nice guy, guy, I got a guy who can get you some eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Two things I love: it's selling eyes and banging whores. Hey, this could all be in a turtle's dream. 
What him? He turned out to be a goddamn junkie. <laughs> I always love that. <laughs> we gotta get the kids to bop with us. <laughs> Someone's getting stabbed. <laughs> so much Frank. Oh, I love Frank. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. Uh, He's great. Danny DeVito so, is just has just been in so many things that are so important to us. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. He's he's the best. I love Danny DeVito. From yeah, oh. from one full of the cuckoo's nest to Batman to It's Always Sunny, like and everything in between. <laughs> he's always been there. He always will be there. He's that kind of guy. <laughs> so uh Chu is confronted by Roy and Leon in this lab and uh they rip open his thermal coat to make it easier to interrogate him. And Roy asks you about the incept dates, wanting to know how do you change the incept dates on a, on a replicant? Who would know how to do that? Chu has no friggin' clue about that, says that they need to talk to a, Tur- a Terrell employee named J.F. Sebastian, who might be able to get Roy into a room with Terrell. Deckard takes Leon's stack of pictures with him, but is surprised to see Rachel in his elevator. And uh, Deckard's kind of rude to her, basically tells her to fuck off, but then feels bad about it and lets her in his apartment. (laughs) And uh, she wants to know what Terrell told him because Terrell refused to see her after the test. And she thinks she's a robot and she wants Deckard to tell her she isn't a robot. But Deckard's not exactly known for his bedside manner. And he's like, "Your, your memories are false. It's bullshit. You're a robot. And she starts crying, and he's like, it was a bad joke. You're not a robot. Get out. <laughs> it's a, it's an awkward scene. <laughs> Very much so. Not a lot of chemistry there. Yeah. But he says the re- the uh, memories were taken likely from Terrell's niece. And yeah, she's just devastated, and she leaves. In another part of L.A., near an old neglected hotel called the Bradbury, no doubt a nod to famous sci-fi writer Ray Bradbury, Yes. A woman walks into an alley, covers herself with paper to keep her warm. And uh, J.F. Sebastian comes up to her and says, you know, hey, are you all right? Do you want to have some place to stay? And this is Pris, one of Roy's uh, murder bots. And she's like, yes, of course. It's all a ploy to get into J.F. Sebastian's good graces. And he was a weird duck. He is the genetic designer for the Terrell Corp. And he makes weird lifelike toys. <laughs> like... He makes yeah, replicant I toys. I don't like that weird. guy. Really weird. You know what it reminded me of? Did you ever see Bride of Frankenstein? No, I have not seen that one either. Well, there's this scientist who is a partner with Victor Frankenstein, and he makes little people in tiny bottles. But it's realistic, like, people that are, like, the, yeah, the yeah. size of chapstick in a little bottle. And they're, like, you know, dancing around and shit, but they're fully real and that never comes up again in that movie, and it has bothered me for years. <laughs> you see him once, and then nobody ever talks about this amazing achievement in science. And then you got this weirdo, J.F. Sebastian, making essentially dwarf people for his own amusement. <laughs> That's Sounds like downsizing. <laughs> but in this situation, in this world where you can create people, to do that is so fucked up. <laughs> Oh, man. Evil. Dance. It's incredibly evil. <laughs> Dance for me, little man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, that'll be a great soundbite one day. <laughs> Dance for me, little man. <laughs> oh, oh boy. God. So Pris manages to manipulate J.F. Sebastian. Obviously, you know, she's a pleasure model. It's kind of what she's designed to do. And uh, she says she has some friends who might come over. And Deckard, in his apartment, is examining the photographs, drinking. He uh, briefly has a dream of a white unicorn. When he wakes up, he analyzes one of Leon's photographs in a scanning device and finds a girl in a back room. And that was the least believable scene of the entire movie, when he zooms into the mirror in, like, the back of the photograph in perfect clarity. That was yes. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Come on now. That's that's the stuff that you um, you can't excuse. <laughs> yeah. Realistic artificial intelligence. Okay. 
dancing little people. All right. Zooming photographs that clearly bullshit. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> no. out of here. Come on now. That Come is, on. That bothers me in everything I see it in. I uh, I don't believe, you know, it's it's stupid. It, that'll never work. X-Files is the only thing that ever like pointed out where like somebody actually said, "Well, the photograph's too blurry. You'll never be able to zoom into that." I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> Finally, somebody in this photograph, in this image, in the mirror, in the back of the photograph, he sees a tattoo on her neck. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh. Uh. Deckard, yeah. Deckard then goes to Chinatown to examine this animal scale he found. And this old Asian woman tells him that it's not a fish. It's from a snake. And it's artificial because in this world, you know, everything is artificial. You can make snakes. In fact, <laughs> when he does meet Zora... He asks if it's a real snake, and she's like, are you kidding me? You think I'd be out on the streets if I could afford a real snake? <laughs> I like that line. <laughs> and uh, she finds the serial number for the scale and identifies <coughs> a man named Abdul Ben Hassan, who is right down the street. <laughs> Decker goes to confront him, and he tells him he made a snake for a club owned by Taffy Lewis. Decker then goes to the club, tries to pressure Lewis into identifying the girl. He makes a quick call to Rachel, apologizing for his insensitivity, asks if she'd like to join him at the club. She says no, it's not her kind of place. Good thing he made that phone call. Deckard, yeah, good, good, yeah, good one, Rick. That was that was the best decision you made all day, yeah. <laughs> Deckard finds Zora is an exotic dancer named Miss Salome at the club. She uses an artificial snake during her performance. After the show, he poses as a union representative investigating abuse. Not smart. It was not believable at all. She was on to him from the second he walked in there. <laughs> Again, how is this guy the best? <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds like something Jack Black would make up like in School of Rock. Like, I'm a union representative to investigate, <laughs> you know, abuse by club owners. Like, what, what kind of fucking I, title is that? <laughs> I have been touched by your kids and I'm pretty sure I touched them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, boy. So Zora immediately picks up on this. She beats him, almost kills him. But some other dancers come in, interrupt them, and she takes off. He try he chases after her, catches up, and finally gets a good shot on her and shoots her with this, like, super gun. It's like a cannon. But it has to be, I guess, <laughs> to blow these things apart. Boom! Gets her in the back. She fl she flies through a plate glass window, shoots her again. Deckard identifies himself to police, says, you know, Blade Runner, and then walks away. <laughs> Just leaves. Yeah. That's that. <laughs> There's no paperwork when it comes to a robot. You can you can kill them at will. Really fucked up. But I you know it just adds to Roy's you know anger and hatred of this you know this life that he's considered inferior just because he was made. He wasn't born. Again, this movie would be so much more interesting from his point of view. Yeah, I know. I know. Ugh. I know. Have you read the Have you read the book? <laughs> I, I've, I've like glanced over it at, at a bookstore, but I've never bought it or anything and read it all the way through. So you don't know if the book's also from Deckard's point of view? I, I imagine it is. Yes. Yeah. What I yeah what I read is yeah is yeah through his through his his lens. Nah. Yeah. Wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe it changes though. I don't know. I've always I've always meant to read that entire book, yeah, because uh, it's a fantastic title for a book. <laughs> Do androids dream of electric sheep? <sighs> not good for a movie, but not good for a movie at all, but great for a book. Well, Total Recall's title is "We Can Remember It for You Wholesale." Yeah, okay, Dick. Yeah. I don't think he was the best at naming his stories. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't that wasn't his goal. No. <laughs> so Brian well, shows up on the scene. Hmm? Sorry, real quick. He also wrote, yeah. um, I cannot remember what it was called, uh, but it's the source material for Men in the High Castle. Yeah, he did. I really wanted to check that show out. I I don't know if it's, I don't know if the book is just called Men in the High Castle. It might be. But yeah, that show is very, very interesting. Neato. Cool yeah, story. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's right up your alley because it's like alternate, alternate history. Um, yeah. If World War II would have been, if it would have ended differently, you know, so it's pretty, pretty wild. I've often thought about that, like just one misstep in any battle. Oh, my or gosh. 
the Nazis easily could have won that war if they just made different decisions or we made different decisions. Makes you wonder sometimes how narrowly we avoided a Nazi victory. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and you can just keep going, you know, further and further back, and it's just like you know, history. Oh, yeah. Every little, every little thing has an impact. You know, it's crazy. Oh, for sure. That's part of why I'm uh, planning on uh, going back to school to be a history teacher because I just find that everything about history fascinating. I love where we came from, and I love just kind of unraveling the mystery of how we got here. Like, what decisions led us to this point? I love that. Yeah, and I think I think history, more than any other school subject, speaking from, like, someone I struggled in school, that's a mm-hmm. subject I, that's a subject I've always actually liked, is history, history and everything, you know, involve, you know, geography, those kinds of things. It, uh, it, that subject deserves people like you who are passionate about it, you know, who can actually be like, hey, this stuff is cool, like, <laughs> check it out you know let me let me teach you about what actually happened you know um yeah you know what actually went down you know uh in world war ii because it's just the the um, the amount of stuff you know the like again the impact that the little things have here and there is just it's fascinating and it's what forms us and what we are today so that's just really cool that you're into that yeah oh i've always been a student of history it's yeah it's hard not to be when you're a movie fan because movies are constantly using real life characters uh what whether you know it or not it's always going to be based off like someone the writer knows you know or is you know it's a uh, influenced by somebody you know they know um you know you're a writer i'm sure you use some of your characters you're like oh i'm going to use this kind of like personality or trait from this person i know and put it in this character because that trait is cool and uh that's that's how writing works and it's so it's fascinating to learn about the history and then see the characters. That's why like a movie, um, sorry, I'm going on a tangent here, but uh, <laughs> a movie, a movie like once upon a time in Hollywood was so rewarding because it combined history and film together. And it was just uh, so rewarding. Especially for us, since we were just coming off the Roman Polanski episode. So we had all that info fresh and it was yeah. such a rewarding. It was like a dessert we got to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. <sighs> Good times. Good times. I miss the movie theater <laughs> so yeah, much. Yeah, I think I think that's mainly why, you know, I just I I've been wanting to talk about movies. I always want to talk about movies and I think I miss the theater more than I thought I would because I'm trying to like, uh, it's going to be okay, you know. But it's it's starting to kind of start to get at me a little bit. <laughs> oh, I get you. Well, let's get back into Blade Runner before we get teary-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, cuz you know, hey, oh. We have TVs at home. You know, let's be grateful for that. We can still watch stuff. Yes, indeed. Like Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bryant shows up on the scene and tells Deckard, like, good good work, but you still got four left. And Deckard's like, no, I've got three left. And Bryant's like, no, you have four. Rachel's disappeared, so you have to deal with her, too. And Deckard's like, fuck, I don't want to do that. I kind of maybe like this girl. This girl bot. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, and, I'm Harrison Ford, man. I, I got to fall for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Deckard leaves and sees her across the street moments later, and he starts following her, but is grabbed by Leon, who very easily knocks his pistol out of his hand and beats him half to death. <laughs> Leon says, wake up, time to die, and is going to shove his thumbs in Deckard's eyes. And then Leon's forehead explodes because he's been shot by Rachel using Deckard's pistol. Deckard then goes home. Rachel joins joins him. <laughs> yeah, world's greatest Blade Runner right there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I mean, with Zora, he nearly like he sh- he shoots through a crowd. With Leon, he's almost killed. With Pris, he's almost killed. With Batty, he's almost killed. <laughs> he <doesn't, laughs> he, he's the fucking worst. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So Rachel has accepted who she is. Deckard appears to be much more sympathetic. Obviously, you know, he she saved his life. So he says, you know, I'm not going to hunt you down. Go where you need to go. You, you know, I owe you one. And uh, she asks if he knows her incept date and her lifespan. And he says he didn't want to look at it. Rachel asks him if he's ever tried the, the Voight comp test on himself. But Deckard falls asleep on the couch. And this would be a good time 
to bring up the fan theory that Deckard himself is a replicant. That's yes. followed this movie forever. Personally, no, he's not. You know how I know? Because he gets his ass handed to him by three replicants in this movie. If he was a replicant, he could fight back. <laughs> all the proof I need. Yeah, he can't. Yeah, he can't hold his own at all. No, and unless his lifespan's like thirty fucking years, he wouldn't be in part two. So no, Deckard's not a replicant. <laughs> I love that people still think that they've watched this movie and they're like, oh, he's clearly a robot. Like, <laughs> fucking no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh boy. <laughs> uh. uh Rachel starts playing on uh, Deckard's piano. Why, I did, why does Deckard have a piano? I can't believe he can play the piano. And uh, Rachel says she remembers piano lessons, but, you know, they're probably not her memories. Deckard makes a move. Rachel gets insecure, rejects his advances. And this is where the uh, line of consent gets a little blurred. <laughs> Deckard <laughs> prevents her from leaving his apartment. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, don't worry, I'll teach you. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, very James Bond of you. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Ooh, muddy waters there. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't want to get creepy, but I've already brought it up, so fuck it. Is, um, how does consent work in this situation? Is she, I mean, is it wrong? Could, but by this society's rules, she's not human. But we see her as a character with a soul and um, emotions. So that's why we're like, Oof, you know, with this scene. But in Deckard's eyes, I don't think he thinks he's doing anything wrong here. I mean, his job is to kill yeah. robots. <laughs> and, he's, and he's kind of shitty at it. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you add you add the fact, like you said, that it's a character with a soul and facial features, you know, and looks exactly like a human. So uh, I would have a hard time, you know. <laughs> but I mean, uh, pull, some people, it's like a move like that. But but I mean, by today, like comparing it to today, it's like if your blow up doll could talk. <laughs> That's kind of what this is. I see what you mean. Like, I see what you mean. Yeah. Like, they are making sex robots. That's been a development. That's what, like, some scientific minds have dedicated their whole lives to. I can't fucking believe it. But, yeah, that's that's a thing. So, if one of those suddenly was able to, like, hold a conversation and think for themselves, do they then become human? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't has, know, man. I don't know who has the right to make that call. I'm not sure. I wonder if we'll ever have to deal with that situation. Like, will we ever have artificial intelligence in our lifetime? I don't know. I would have said no, like, five years ago, but now I don't fucking know. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. I try not to uh, predict anything. <laughs> yeah, I would have been able to predict this fucking bullshit. But, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. So, uh, Pris wakes up in Sebastian's apartment. She talks to him about his strange skin condition called Methuselah syndrome. Makes him age quickly. He's only 25, but he looks like 60. A weird. I wonder if that's real Methuselah syndrome. I don't know. I've never heard of it. It's uh, it's a, it's the reason he was turned down for an off-world colony job. But he doesn't mind. He likes Earth. Suddenly, Roy shows up, summoned there by Pris, and he tells her Zora and Leon are dead. Roy and Pris reveal to Sebastian they're both Nexus 6 replicants and they need his help. And uh, Pris proves this to Sebastian by grabbing an egg out of boiling water and throwing it to him. <laughs> and they both claim, you know, we have what you have, accelerated aging, and you should be able to relate to that, so help us out. Pris is, you know, her expiration date's coming up. Sebastian says he only does genetic design... But Roy sees a chessboard half played and asks him who his opponent is, and it's it's Terrell. So Roy coerces Sebastian to use this to get him in a meeting with Terrell. And Sebastian agrees, basically at the, you know, either die or say yes. <laughs> so 
Roy and Sebastian go to Terrell's home, take an elevator to the penthouse, and they're stopped as a security measure, but allowed to proceed when Sebastian voices to him the chess moves and wins the match. Really, it's Roy who wins the match. Terrell is fascinated by this. Sebastian never beats him at chess, invites him in. Terrell's uh, bedchamber, Sebastian introduces Roy, but Terrell is not surprised. He's like, you know, what took you so long? Roy confronts his creator and says he wants an extension of his short lifespan. He says, I want more life, father. However, in the original uh, theatrical, he says, I want more life, fucker, <laughs> which I, yeah. I would like that better. Yes, that's way cooler. Yeah, way more in character, I think. Terrell explains that he's unable to do that. Once they're done, they're done. It's a, it's a genetic. It's a it's in the cells. There's no way to fix it. Roy proposes, like, well, let's do this. Let's, you know, this this will help. And Terrell's like, no, nah, we tried that. We, we tried that, too. No, that'll kill you. That'll kill you slower. And Roy's like, fuck. But Terrell tries to comfort him, saying, the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long, and you have burned so very, very brightly. Aw. And then Roy crushes his skull. <laughs> yeah. Mortal Kombat style, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was straight up Game of Thrones, just... <laughs> <clears throat> he loves to the replicants love to do that because leon tried to do that shit to deckard they love yeah, to crush heads yeah through the eyes yeah but you know i got i kind of get it i mean if if i was a robot with superior strength and i hated humanity for enslaving me i would do nothing but crush heads yeah let the <laughs> bodies hit the floor do. man <laughs> i'd be walking through the streets just like <laughs> until some blade runner shot me dead <laughs> or these oh. days just some or these days just some texan oh yeah some texan with a very big gun <laughs> and you'll, yeah you'll get you'll get through a couple crushes and he'll be like hey we don't like that around here you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what would happen yeah. <laughs> so terrell is dead sebastian's like what the fuck he's horrified meanwhile deckard's in his car on the streets uh he receives a report from Bryant who tells him Terrell is dead and Sebastian has been found dead at the same scene. So Roy just straight up crushed his head too. Deckard places a call to Sebastian's apartment claiming to be a friend. Pris answers the call but hangs up. So Deckard knows somebody's home. Deckard drives to Sebastian's apartment, searches it for evidence. And this was kind of creepy. He searches the mess of puppets and mannequins. Pris is hiding amongst them. Yeah, that was, actually, that was neat. That's a nice, that's a very nice touch. And he gets too close. She reacts and starts kicking his ass with acrobatics. She starts backflipping him. She cr almost crushes his neck with uh with her legs. She nearly snapped his neck. I mean that was that was close. Again, yeah, yeah. Again, Deckard. Yeah, just dude. <laughs> not very good at combat. He's not fucking good at anything. He can't shoot. He can't fight. Ugh. I feel other like this was, yeah, other than blurring the lines of consent. Yeah, he's not very skilled at anything. I feel like Bryant was trying to get rid of him, too. <laughs> this was, you know, maybe the replicants can take care of this asshole. Yeah, just, yeah, let's get him out of here. So Decker gets a shot off, gets Pris in the chest. She starts spasming, like, violently, like a broken machine. And then he shoots her twice more, kills her. Decker hears Roy show up and gets in position. He's going to try to surprise Roy. Roy comes in, finds Pris dead, is immediately devastated, kisses her lifeless lips, enters the next room. Deckard takes a shot. He misses. Roy says, you know, you're not being very sporting to fire on an unarmed opponent. And this is the part of the movie I really like. The, the cat and mouse between Deckard and Roy. Yes. That was done really well. Roy starts stalking Deckard through the apartment. The hunter has become the hunted very fast. And at one point, he gets Deckard's hand through a wall and breaks two of his fingers, saying, this is for Zora, this is for Pris. Nothing for Leon. <laughs> I guess Fuck he was Leon, dead, right? yeah. <laughs> he then gives him the gun back and lets, his, lets him go. But Deckard can't shoot straight with two broken fingers. So Roy gives him a few seconds head start to flee. Deckard starts climbing through the ceiling, trying to escape to an upper floor. But Roy sees him through the wall and is like, I see you. What are, you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, dumbass, I gave you a head start. Come on. Decker keeps moving. He drops his gun. 
And Roy starts experiencing impending death. His hands start seizing up. Rigor mortis is setting in. So he stabs himself through the hand to liven his hand up. Roy is like, it's creepy. And uh, Deckard hits him with a pipe, but Roy doesn't react that much. And uh, he punches Deckard away. Deckard escapes onto a window ledge, climbs up to the roof. Roy shows up moments later holding a white dove, which was a little strange. Deckard tries to escape by jumping to another roof, but barely makes it to the ledge, and he's holding on for dear life. Roy jumps over to that ledge quite easily and looks over at Deckard. Says, you know, quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it, that's what it is to be a slave. Deckard slips, and Roy saves him. Pulls him to safety. So, I was not expecting that the first time I saw this movie. Like, Roy to have some sympathy. Especially for a human. But I think the reason is Roy just wanted to he wanted to spend his last moments. He didn't want to spend his last moments alone. Yeah, it's, it's a chance to it's a chance to explain to somebody something, you know? Yeah. So Roy knows he's he's dying. And he just tells Deckard, you know, I've seen more in one I've seen more than you would ever believe. I've seen imagine unimaginable things. And Rutger Hauer actually improvised this bit. All those to- all those memories will be lost like tears in the rain. And then he dies. And when he dies, the dove in his hand flies off. So it's like, you know, rebirth or something. Incarnation. Yeah, reincarnation. It's actually quite uh, tasteful. <laughs> quite, quite, quite moving. Yeah. Yeah. So... Gaff meets Deckard on the roof, throws his pistol back to him, and is like, you did it. Way to go. Deckard tells him, you know, I'm done. No more hunting replicants. Gaff walks away, looks back over his shoulder, and says, it's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? Referring to Rachel. And uh, Deckard goes back to his apartment. Rachel's there. He does, when she doesn't answer, he walks in with his gun drawn, and he's, she's on the bed under a sheet. He thinks she's dead, but she wakes up. He asks if she loves him. He, she says she does. Feels a little under duress for me, but you know what? Movie's almost over. Uh, we don't have time to unpack that. <laughs> <laughs> a few minutes later, she's dressed. Her and Deckard check the lobby outside the apartment. They get in the, She gets in the elevator. He finds a small origami unicorn left there by Gaff. So Gaff knows about the relationship. His last words echo in her head, echo in Jackard's head as he gets in the elevator. It's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? Elevator doors close, and in the final cut, this is the end of the movie. In the theatrical, uh, Deckard and Rachel escape to the mountains. I like this better. Leaves it more uncertain. Makes you think they're probably not getting out of there alive. Yeah, just, uh, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to leave something up to, you know, the imagination there to interpretation at the end. A little bit, something. So there was a sequel made in 2017, Blade Runner 2049, with Harrison Ford, Sean Young, and Edward James Olmos returning, and Ryan Gosling playing a young Blade Runner named Kay, who discovers a powerful secret and tries to find Deckard, who has been missing for 30 years. It was directed by Denis Villeneuve and co-stars Jared Leto, Dave Bautista, Robin Wright, and Ana de Armas. It won two Oscars, Best Visual Effects and Best Cinematography, marking the first long-awaited win for celebrated cinematographer Roger Deakins. It was also nominated for Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Production Design. IMDb score 8.0, Rotten Tomatoes score 87%. And I know you're a big fan of this movie. Yeah, I yeah I adore this one mainly mainly because I I I really like Gosling of course I think his performance is really good in it and then Deacons Roger Deacons is the man he uh, that's a special one uh, it's it's really long but uh, yeah I, I encourage anyone to see it that was his first long-awaited Oscar it was not his second he won again for 1917 this past year yes but uh, he'd been in the business for forever and this was his first win and I think for that alone I'm gonna have to see this movie. Yeah, yeah, I think you'll like aspects of it. I don't know if you'll love it per se, but um, yeah, I do think yeah, Deacon's 
it's a part of Deacon's wonderful filmography, and you've already seen so many of them, so why not? True, very true. I give Blade Runner a seven. It's just not my cup of tea. It's got an interesting story, but it's too damn dull. I just can't get through it without falling asleep. The characters just don't pop. Sorry to the Blade Runner fanboys, but that's my final say on the film. Yeah, you're not going to get a whole lot of difference here. Uh, seven for me as well. Similar thoughts. I uh, definitely think the production design is something special. I think some of the costumes are really good. But uh, overall, the acting is not there. Overall, the plot lines are filled with holes that I, I yeah, just I, I can't get totally into it. Um, and again, um, the fact that it had to have so many different versions is not a good sign. I just I, I don't think this I think this movie is a little overhyped. Uh, like you said, yes. sorry, fan. Sorry, fanboys, but uh, you're not going to get a whole lot of uh, easy love here. Nope, sorry. Blade Runner just doesn't do it for us. That's all for today. On Sunday, we'll be dropping our last top 10 for a while, our top 10 films of the 1970s countdown. Very excited about that. That was fun to do. Very fun. Oh, my goodness. And uh, don't miss it. It's going to be a blast. This week, we're going to Shutter Island to see if Leo DiCaprio can track down a missing murderer. Thanks for listening. And if you're a replicant, maybe don't do any Voight comp tests. That's how they get you.